0: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of a little more good so happy to have you tuned into the show if you're coming back good to have you back if you're new welcome thanks for thanks for joining and i'm dean i'm zach we uh we're grateful to have you here we're, we're diving in to a cool episode today recently we were having the conversation you know with some with some folks and they're like yo how do you guys choose like who's going to be on the pod or or what topics you want to discover and the answer really is just like you know we follow our curiosity, we follow things that we're excited about, what we're passionate about, whether it's like fitness or food or, you know, some entrepreneur doing something cool or just like a cool person we'd love to, to connect with. And I think that, you know, that's true for each and every episode, but some come along where it's like, wow, this topic, this interest kind of really came out of nowhere and and we don't we don't know a lot and we really want to dive in and get well versed in this or as well versed as we can and and we're excited to share our learnings with all of you. And I think that today, this episode really kind of encapsulates that moment of us finding something, becoming really curious about it and wanting to learn as much as we can, seek out like an expert and then share it with all of you. So we hope that you catch our passion for this topic and this person today. Yes.
1: Yes. Before we dive deep into this week's podcast, dive into the the deep, well, maybe some foreshadowing. Um, just two things. One. Dean I want to say I always appreciate sharing our curiosities together you know we don't record these on our our podcast but we'll go for walks or runs or or drives or saunas where we'll we'll just fully immerse ourselves in curiosity and it's it's a kind of like a dance like we Mm -hmm. go in so many directions exploring these possibilities and I just think it's it's something one I appreciate about yourself and Two, it's, it's something that's becoming more and more of a pillar for myself is as, as curiosity as, as a way of being, um, constantly exploring, being curious, asking questions, you know, kind of wearing that that shirt so per se. Um, I think in so many ways in this world we, we look for definitive answers, but I think having definitive responses is just very limiting to what's possible and and I think it also, you know, we're we're getting through a time where, you know, I mean we're always in a time of division and and divisiveness where um when we have those definitive mindsets, it really does separate us. Mm. Um so being curious, I wanna be get to a point where if I think I understand something, I wanna explore the other perspective and, and you know, really explore it, not just out of, out of you know, so that I can debate better. Like, let's go deep into to how these people are thinking, so that maybe there's nuance, or maybe you know, maybe their idea is is more interesting, um, or if I think that I've gotten to a place where I understand something, you know, turn left or turn right or turn around and start walking the other direction and, and keep exploring because I think that's where. Life stays interesting, and and we explore a, a lifetime of, of possibility instead of thinking that we understand something and, and just stopping that that journey. Yeah, you know we're we're living in destinations instead of journeys if
0: we're not curious. Right. No, that's very well said, uh, and, and I agree. I mean, it's good to have someone to to do the dance with of like bouncing ideas and and working out thoughts and all of this in a in an environment where you know, it can be open to being wrong, right? It makes me think of like, you know, there's that meme where it's like someone sitting at a table and everyone writes whatever they want over the table, but it's like the guy sitting there all smug, like whatever it is, like Wu-Tang Clan is the best hip-hop group ever, change my mind. Yes, it, it comes from a perspective, it comes from a place of like arrogance, like you can't change my mind, Wu-Tang is the best, right? You're yes. not gonna change my mind. However, if we have that same table, that same posture where we're sitting there with the sign saying, uh, ah, change my mind? And it's yes. actually like, help me see it in a new perspective. I feel like that's such a fun way to live. And that's not to say, you know, throw out beliefs and values and, and these core, you know, cornerstones of who you are. But I think it's, we should always be living with an openness to investigate our beliefs, even our deepest held beliefs and say, how can I make them stronger? How can I become more inspired by them? How can they create more awe in my life and more wonder? And is it moving me towards a place of being more open and loving and curious, or is it moving me into a place that's more closed off and and certain and yeah there's a great author uh, peter Enns. he has a book called the sin of certainty and it's like a, i mean it's in religious context but it, it's very much so like some of those circles are very certain about things and oftentimes the greatest sin to use that kind of language is being certain and not being open. And uh, yeah, Peter, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's worth a read, The Sin of Certainty. But I think, that, yeah, we live in a place where possibility and curiosity really lead us in our conversations. And and I think that that is how we ended up with this conversation today.
1: Yes, yes. So with no further ado, we uh, had the absolute pleasure of sharing conversation with Dr. Gerald H. Pollack. Um, Dr. Uh, Gerald Pollack, goes by Jerry. Um, he is the author of two incredible books with two more coming up, which we kind of touched on. The Fourth Phase of Water, Beyond Solid Liquid and Vapor. And his first book, Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life, A New Unifying Approach to Cell Function. Um, so the fourth phase of water really blew my mind and opened me up to a path of a new curiosity that's led me down many rivers and streams and creeks exploring kind of the bigger ocean of life. And uh, I mean, the fourth phase of water right there. You know, we know solid liquid vapor. That's what we learned during elementary school, high school, university. That's what we understand. You know, there's, there's liquid water, there's solid like ice, and there's vapor like gases. Um, so what else is there? Well, Gerald H. Pollock has discovered the fourth phase of water, uh, which we get into in the podcast. Um, But to kind of maybe understand it, to give some context before we jump in, like if you think about a tree sapping, you know, that consistency is different than, um, you know, solid liquid or vapor. If you think about a bee's honey, you know, it's almost like this gel-like substance that... uh, doesn't kind of check those boxes. So um when we consume water, our body assimilates the the water into our body and uh it becomes the fourth phase um a different molecular structure of water within our body. So like if you poke yourself with a needle, you don't just leak water, you know, it's 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 um kind of evolved the the structure and the form as it comes into our body. So um, this conversation is all about the fourth phase and what that means. What are the implications of this fourth phase? What are the possibilities? Uh, where can this lead? Um, how does it benefit our bodies? Where do we find it in the world? Um, how can we create our own fourth phase? You know, some people call it structured water. Um, some people call it easy water. Uh, there's some different definitions, but it's basically the molecular structure of the water, how it changes in form, and what the significance of this observation of this of this phase has one uh, in nature and for ourselves the the human species. Yes,
0: which really when we think about it, like we are bodies of water. Yes. This is beautiful. And I mean we've had Jen Isabel Friend on and, and we had a kind of a really, really beautiful episode with her talking about water and some of the ways that we can structure it we can um, bring coherence to it or create that easy water and for us Canadians we might say ez water it's (laughs) an acronym it's not easy as in oh that's easy to understand it's ez and uh, Dr. Pollock gets into it as exclusion zone water, and I'll let him explain what that means. But it's really cool. One of the things you know we can touch back on this towards the, the end of the episode as well. And 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 Dr. Pollock talks about this throughout. But one of the things you know we always want to find okay, what are the key takeaways? What are the little the little things that we can do to create and and enhance this coherent water or this easy. EZ water in our lives. And I mean, it's simple. You stay hydrated with good, good sourced water. Um, Dr. Pollock's team has found that by drinking even coconut water, um, that could really help create um, an increased easy water in our bodies. Um, Getting plenty of sunlight, which is always a good thing to do, right? Think about that sunlight, coconut water. What could be better? Uh, Consume your green vegetables or green juice, head down to the juice truck and get yourself some structured, coherent water with the, You know, also you might call it juice, which is super cool. And even sauna, infrared sauna and sauna can increase, even though we're sweating, it can actually help our body to create the easy water. So those are all great things to bring into your life. Even if it's just like have a juice, go for a sauna, sit in the sun. Those are going to, those are going to increase your overall happiness and mood for sure. But also increase the easy water, that structure coherent water within our bodies.
1: The juice part just to put a pin there for a second that really blew my mind because yeah. I've you know been in the juice biz for some time now and you know I've read as much as I, I could have you know going back to that theme of curiosity you know I thought I understood juice you know I thought okay I've been here for I have put my 10,000 hours in understanding making juice um, but uh, Dr. Gerald Pollack Shared something new that totally blew my mind and and got me really excited about drinking juice and making juice again, so like these vegetables and uh fruits these hydrophilic you know plants that are are full of of nutrients, they have a certain structure to them while they' are fruits and vegetables and when you um you when you take that liquid from those fruits and vegetables you the the structure of the fruits and vegetables remains intact that you're you're consuming so you're getting that structured easy water from fruits and vegetables which is easier for our body to assimilate to you know get energy to recover um, to for our proteins for our muscles to grow like there's all these benefits that I'd never you know fully put language to or understood in the sense where of of how Gerald Pollack kind of described it so that really blew my mind gets into how you know water is a battery and a conductor of, of energy it's really a mind-blowing conversation so if, if you do uh, enjoy this conversation he does have a couple books that are are you know quite easy to to read for a science book even for layman's like myself um, so the fourth phase of water beyond solid liquid and vapor is a really great one to start with uh, where um, professor Pollock takes takes the reader on a voyage through water showing the hidden universe teeming with physical activity that provides answers so simple that any curious person can understand it. Um, Profound ideas explained in a simple way. So if you enjoy this convo, check out his book. Uh, He's a professor down at the university of Washington, not too far from here. Um, Really inspiring, generous individual that uh, we're grateful that we got to share a conversation with.
0: Yeah. So before we turn it over to Dr. Joe Pollack and the beautiful mysteries of water and the science of water, a word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Zach, we've been on the AG1 for a while, Uh, man, taking it daily. And, you know, given the content of this week's episode, I always you know, make sure I use my little analemma wand or bring some coherence, bring some structure to the water. And then I add my AG1 and it just makes it, you know, I feel like I'm doing this micro habit that's even better for me by leveling up the water that I also add my AG1 to, And it's like one scoop of greens. And I know that I'm locking in my nutrition for the day, 75 high quality ingredients. We got ashwagandha, probiotic, prebiotic. Oh man, it's full of everything you need to just live a healthy life. Yes, digestive
1: support, immunity support, metabolism, energy and stress support. I feel like we can make a freestyle about yes. Athletic greens, if you yes. know what I mean.
0: It's so good. And you know what's been really fun is uh, hearing stories from people we talk to or send us messages and just let us know that they've been on it and kind of their experience, that they've been loving it. Just the sense of feeling uh, extra energy, not maybe needing that morning coffee right away because they've supplemented it, switched out with AG1. So um, you can take it from us. You can also you know take it from people who've been using it. Uh, Lots and lots of really, really great reviews to find online about the product. Um, we love it. Honestly, uh, it's so good. It's it's part of that daily micro habit, that morning routine that I just know sets me up for success. And we want to make that available to you, Zach. How do we do it?
1: There we go. Go to athleticgreens.com slash more good to get your subscription of AG1. Uh, with that, we've got a little perk for you. We've got a year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs so go to athleticgreens.com slash more good for your ag1 plus we'll throw in some goodies in a year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs get yours and start your your good for immune health routine today
0: yes 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 level up that nutrition take care of yourself mind body and soul there we go okay on to this week's episode
1: all right all right we're here with another episode of a little more good uh we're sitting across the uh across the uh the border here our our neighbor to the south uh gerald pollock professor of bioengineering uh university of washington just uh south of uh of us here in vancouver thanks for joining us gerald
2: Oh, it's my pleasure to speak to you guys, um, and happy to uh, try to respond to any questions that you might have, yeah. and I know you've got lots of them.
1: Yeah, Yes, water has been a bit of a Pandora's jar for us in our recent time. We kind of learned from your work the ideas of easy water and structured water, and that water is is more complex than the water we take for granted that comes from our tap and it just um it piqued our curiosity and our interest and once we got curious it seemed to be the deepest well of possibility you know it, there was one question would lead to another and um we're just fully immersed and obsessed with uh this wonderful world of water and um Everyone we talk to, uh, their kind of catalyst for their curiosities in water, you know starts with with your teachings and your research. so in many ways, you are are the uh, the godfather or the the catalyst for for oh my our- goodness, the <laughs> Godfather. <laughs> The, the God uh, that, Godfather of the, of water sciences that we're we're so curious about. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you. I don't know if Godfather is positive or negative, yeah. but I have never yet been called Godfather. I.
1: Uh, well, I guess we'll uh, get into if water is positive or negative, to make a water pun there. Uh,
2: yeah, okay, got it.
1: <laughs> you can tell your students you are, are, are now have been called the godfather of water, so that might intimidate them into uh, making sure they pay attention to uh, through all your teaching,
2: I've got some students coming over this evening, and I will tell them. There you
0: go. Yeah. If Godfather. not, if not that, then it's like uh, the the people that have led us to you have been like the tributaries leading back to the source. Maybe is the other appropriate <laughs> oh, water goodness. pun to use. Oh
2: my goodness, Godfather. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to uh, be uh, involved in this interview. I learned uh, a new title, uh, Godfather. <laughs> I will have to share that with my colleagues at the university.
1: <laughs> there you amazing. Go. Amazing. Well, just for the sake of getting getting this conversation started, uh, we're so interested. How how were you initially, where did your interest for water begin? What was that that moment where you thought, you know, this is something I'm interested in and um took it from, you know, curiosity to to pursuing uh what was possible with, with water?
2: I was studying uh muscle contraction, we were deeply involved in the molecular in, in trying to uncover the molecular mechanism of contraction. And, and there was one fellow coming from Hungary. And I picked, I remember I picked him up at the airport uh, with his wife. And during the drive from the airport uh, to my home, where he, they were going to lodge for a few days until they could find a place. He said, you know, there's a, a meeting in Hungary, and I think they would like you to be there. You should really be there because the meeting is to commemorate the, the life of a biophysicist who had recently passed, whose interests were muscle contraction and water. And I should go there to represent his interest in muscle contraction, um, which I did. And his ideas were unorthodox as were mine, and so I kind of fit into that mold. What intrigued me uh, over there uh, were the people who came to speak about water, um, the uh, other side of uh, of this biophysicist's um, interest. And there was a guy named Gilbert Ling, and I'd heard of him before, but I, I, I didn't know so much. And, and Gilbert Ling had been studying water, and, and he spent pretty much his entire life, he'd come from China as one of the as one of the three uh, uh, first choices of young people to come to study in the U.S. uh, in 1948. And there were three of them. One one was um, representing uh, physics, one was representing chemistry, and Gilbert was biology. And the first two won Nobel Prizes. And Gilbert, you know, they were chosen from throughout all of China, the most promising people. And Gilbert, I think should have won at least two Nobel prizes for his work, but it was too controversial. He was arguing, he was arguing that in biology, the water's different. It's not like like water in a glass where the molecules are bouncing around randomly, furiously. Uh, It it, it was uh, an idea that that the molecules were actually lined up in some way, uh, like soldiers at at attention. Um, sort of like a crystal. And uh, many people thought, this is nonsense. Uh, However, I thought the opposite. Uh, When I heard him talk, I was deeply impressed. And I was even more deeply impressed when other people who had come to the conference uh, to speak about their evidence about so-called structured water, or easy, not easy at the time, ordered water. and. I was just overwhelmed by the amount of evidence uh, that there's something different about water, especially in in biology. So I went home and um, uh, I was so stimulated. I gave one of his books he had written, by the time he'd written, I think, five of them. I gave one of my books, one of his books, to uh, some of my students, postdocs, and and they all came back to me with a similar sentiment. They said, if this guy is right, all of biology is wrong, and this guy looks like he's onto something really important. So what do I do? Um, you know, I, I inevitably I, I I was so interested in this, and my interest was reaffirmed by by the positive responses of of those students. So first thing to do is to write a book, um, and the reason for writing the book is called Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life. And the purpose of writing the book was to try to explain the ideas of Gilbert Ling in a way that could be understood by mortals like you and even me and uh, some others. I, uh, you know, because Gilbert, Gilbert had a, a tendency when he was writing to sit down at the word processor and before that, at the typewriter. You know, he'd bat something out and off it would go to the publisher, it would get published. And nobody could understand it, or almost nobody could understand it, because we all know that editing is really, really critical, especially if, if you want to share the information with people who can really understand what you're writing. We can understand what we write but sometimes, but others have great difficulty. And I don't know, I myself, when I write something um, that is more significant than just a response email or something, I, I'll write it and then next day I go back to it and I did I write this this is really poor and 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 go through multiple rounds of editing that way and you know and finally some people could understand what I'm trying to say and uh, with a few more rounds of editing some more but Gilbert paid no attention to that he he knew and understand all, understood all the ideas so he'd bat it out send it to the publisher and there it was published so, My goal uh, was to make his ideas accessible. It's not that I could understand every one of his ideas, they were really, really complicated. Um, So I tried my best and the book, the book uh, was received with mixed popularity. Some people said, well, if you you don't mind, I use the word bullshit. Uh, you know, this is more of Gilbert Ling, and we all know Gilbert Ling, and he's a crackpot, and so pay no attention to this book. So that was one extreme of of the comments that were received. Um, and at the other end was the comment by um, a well-known cell biologist from Harvard University. And you know, if he's from Harvard, he has to be believed that it's Harvard University. So he said, this is a 304-page preface to the future of cell biology that one I liked <laughs> so, okay so um, having written the book uh, and gotten the praise of some people who I I, I respect um, I, I I decided we had to do some experiments uh, because there, there's so much potential that this stuff has yet yeah, there were a few issues that were you know kind of a little bit difficult to um, to appreciate, to understand, to put into a more global context, and so, so we began doing experiments, and um, and the experiments yield results that, on the one hand, confirmed um, the idea of Gilbert Ling and others. Uh, there have been others dating back for a hundred years, uh, who had ideas, different ideas about water. On the one hand, confirming that on the other hand finding that well it's a bit different from what what they were suggesting so so gilbert ling was suggesting that in in the cell the water molecules just stack on one another like soldiers at attention you know a dipole water is a dipole which is like a bean that has a plus at one end and minus so it's easy to imagine how they might stack and minus next to plus plus. and gilbert was arguing that that the stacking can 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 go on for many many multi many uh, 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 molecular layers, you know, dozens, hundreds, even, and and we found that hundreds is a gross underestimate of the number, and and that it wasn't dipoles at all; that it was different, and for a very simple reason. So, so uh, Amy, without going into detail at the moment until you ask me. Uh, Basically, we confirmed that in the cell that the water was not liquid water at all, but water that had structure to it. But the structure that we found is not only different from what Gilbert Ling was suggesting, but it had such interesting implications that I think went beyond what, what Gilbert had identified. So Gilbert remains um, a hero. Unfortunately, he passed in a, a few years ago uh but his work is seminal and it wasn't just his work but other other people uh even the generations before him were thinking something like that and the uh, the principal one that i i've mentioned is albert saint georgie who was a hungarian biochemist who who is considered to be the father of modern biochemistry and uh, and And he was certain that the water inside the cell not only was organized, structured in some way, as Gilbert Ling was talking about, but also it was central to everything that the cell uh, does. And one of his comments was, uh, one of the more memorable ones is, life, life is water dancing to the tune of solids. And I I like that one. So yeah, so anyway, I'm sorry for the uh, long belabored response to your simple question of how'd you get involved? Well, that's how I got involved. Yeah. And it's been quite a ride uh, since then, uh,
1: especially becoming the godfather. (laughs) There's a lot of expectations with that title and uh... (laughs) I I tell you. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, it's it's one of the things that even for Zach and I, as we have come in contact with your work and then other people who have been exploring your work and and in some ways doing the exact same thing that you've done by taking, you know, some of your teaching and then trying to break it down and make it accessible to, you know, their audience, whatever it might be, through podcast formats or through their own blogs. But as we've come in contact with it and then kind of followed upstream, if you will, and learned more and more, it's it's one of those things where Water is everywhere. It's abundant, especially in the Pacific North, Northwest. Oh, <laughs> Falls yeah. from the sky, comes out of the ground, where we often live on coasts. We we drink water in abundance throughout our day. And yet we are are very, um, I don't know if ignorant is the right word, but we're, we're unaware of the depth that it has and and the significance that it has when we take it into our bodies and it moves from these three states that were all taught in early, you know, elementary school, science class, solid, liquid gas. And then, you know, your research and findings have introduced this idea of this fourth phase or easy water or structured or coherent water. There's a number of different kind of titles around it. But as we start to look into that and say, okay, there's something to this, there's something to the way that you know, water can be organized or can be structured or become coherent. um, And and then that has a significant impact on us rather than just taking in, you know, regular tap water without giving it any kind of coherence or structure. So what are some things, maybe you could speak to like one or two uh, specific, um, you said you did lots of like tests and research, like what were one or two things that really, really surprised you early on when you started to say like, Okay, let's look into this. There's something to this. I feel like there's something to this. What What were some of those early findings that just kind of really validated? Okay, we're going down the right way. And I never would have thought we would have found this.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking for a moment because I, you know, I'm not sure which which of the findings. And um, you know, in 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 retrospect, I, I guess I can think of a couple of findings that um, whose impact turned out to be uh, 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 really great. And, and and the first is that um, the system of easy water, we call it easy water, fourth phase water. Um, easy, by the way, comes from exclusion zone, because where this water is, this water is a, 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 like a densely packed crystal, which excludes virtually everything. So we it was suggested by a colleague that we give it a name and he suggested exclusion zone which is easy to remember but it doesn't work in some countries uh, because it can be ez okay so w- what's important in, in in retrospect um what's important is that the water actually one thing the water has potential energy and we never think of water as containing energy but but this water does and and the reason is as it's formed um maybe i have to back up a step um what have the way the the way it's formed and if i if i digress please get me back on track and talk about energy okay um yeah so the way the way it's formed the way we found it it uh it's formed but there may be other ways and we know there are other ways it's formed but the way we noticed at first uh is is that if the water uh is Adjacent ordinary liquid water is adjacent to um, a hydrophilic surface that is a water loving surface. And by water loving, I just mean that uh, if you have the surface and you drop some water, it spreads out because the surface loves the water, <laughs> it wants to get as much as it can, as opposed to um, a hydrophobic surface like Teflon, where you droplet falls and it stays a droplet, so it doesn't really interact with the surface. Um, If the surface is hydrophilic, then uh, so here's the surface and here's the water uh, and the first molecular layer, a layer of molecules of water undergo a transformation, a a huge transformation into as as a fourth phase water. Um, And then that layer, which turns out to be a a hexagonal or honeycomb uh, layer, then acts as a template for the growth of the second layer which also forms from the water molecules and which serves as a template for the growth of the third layer and so on and so forth and these layers build and they can build out to hundreds of thousands if not millions of layers even more than what Gilbert Ling was was talking about now what we found is is that these layers are no longer H20 they've undergone a transformation to h 2 um and and the reason we we found that it was H3O2 is that, is that this exclusion zone or fourth phase is typically negatively charged. It's not neutral anymore. Uh, it started as neutral water molecules, but what happened, we were able to deduce, is that the water molecules split into uh, negative and positive components, a positive component H plus, negative component oh minus and it's these oh minuses that gather together in a way that we now understand to create the the, the, these layers and so the layers have negative charge and we were able to confirm that just by sticking an electrode in and measuring um, a tiny electrode electrode with a tiny tip in fact invented by the same Gilbert Ling uh, for which, of course, he should have gotten a Nobel Prize, because so many others using his technique got Nobel Prizes, so you'd think, you know, his work was seminal in that way. Anyway, uh, so um, so this is a negatively charged zone, and you may ask, well, what about the positive charges, the H pluses, where are they? Well, it turns out that they reside beyond this exclusion zone so you have an exclusion zone that's negatively charged and you've got positive charges exclusion zone right the oh minuses and you've got the h pluses sitting out in the liquid water beyond you got negative positive that's a battery mm-hmm. it's a battery and batteries contain potential energy so um so it means that wherever you have easy water you have potential energy so why is that important? Well, it's important because your body, your cells are filled with this stuff. Um, and and uh, obviously your cells have energy. And the question is, well, where does the energy come from? And if you read the textbook, um, you'll find a, a, a different explanation. I'll talk about that in a moment, But but this is another potential source of potential energy, of energy. Right, simply from the water that's in the cell, you get energy. So, um, what we all learned is uh, in the textbook is that, well, the energy that we have that's in our cells to drive everything that we do comes from ATP, right? And ATP is known to have a, a high energy phosphate bond. And that energy is then delivered to, to drive everything that we do that that requires energy, which is essentially everything. And, and so, so now we have two possibilities. We have the ATP possibility, um, and we have the possibility that the easy water that fills our cells also is a possible source of potential energy. So, you know, a curious person will ask, okay, well, you know which one is it? Or is it some of each? Some of, uh, and and we have a tendency to think, of, well, it must be ATP, because ATP, we've known that now for 70 or 80 years. And, and here we have a, a newcomer um, that could deliver energy, for example, for people who don't eat, and uh, therefore, may not produce ATP. Uh, and they seem to have plenty of energy, uh, the so called Um, But but there's another another issue that Gilbert Ling uh brought up and which still appears uh as very recently on his website, though he passed three years ago, Gilbertling.org. Um I, I, I'm told that it still exists. So he brings up he um the the an issue about ATP. So um the idea of a high energy phosphate bond is challenged. Uh it was found, I, I guess about Maybe was it 80 years ago or something by a prominent group of physical chemists? They said they went through uh, certain experiments and analysis, and they said, voila, we found it ATP. And uh, one of the phosphate bonds has high energy, and that must be, therefore, the energy. Uh, that's delivered uh, when a muscle wants to contract, or a nerve cell wants to uh, conduct, or a secretory cell wants to secrete, or whatever. Everything needs energy, and the energy comes from that high energy uh, bond, phosphate bond. Well, a year later, or maybe it was two years later, another chemistry, a prominent group of physical chemists, said, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, these guys last year, who produced that seminal paper, they screwed up. Uh, they made a simple arithmetic error. There's n- no such thing as a high energy phosphate bond. Since then, um, as I understand from Gilbert Ling's writings, uh, nobody has followed up, and I, you know, I believe that because usually the challengers um, uh, stand alone, and people are not willing to to actually fight, it's easier, easier to stand with the accepted view and, and the ATP view became accepted uh, pretty quickly. So here we are. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember how many years, but maybe 80 years later, with a situation where you've got two competing points of view. One says, ATP has a high energy phosphate bond, which runs everything. And the other one saying, it's nonsense. So we don't know which one is correct. Is it is it the original um, people who reported the existence of a high-energy phosphate bond, or is it the challengers who said, no way? So we have another option now that hadn't been recognized before, and that is the battery-like feature of the fourth phase of water that has a, a ample capacity to provide a lot of energy, it's just like a battery, um, it would be you might call it electrical energy. And the answer we, we don't we don't know. Um, it, it, is it 50-50? Is it uh, 99-1? Is it 100 and zero? Needs to be studied. Um, so so um I would say, you know, you asked me what are the the couple of observations that we made early on. <laughs> um, That turned out to be maybe of some significance, and I think that that's got to be one of them uh, that there is an alternative energy source and we still don't know whether the role is dominant or minor or even negligible or maybe everything. Um, So, so that's point number one, Uh, are you ready for point two or do you want to skip it and go on to something else or.
1: Yeah, Yeah. let's keep going. Let's keep going. We're we're uh, sitting here enjoying learning, uh, as I think all of our listeners will. So I think that let's go straight to number two here.
2: Okay, so number two led to uh, I I bring up number two because it led to an observation um, that is of some import. Um, So it was a student. It was it was uh, an undergraduate student, and. Uh, we had just learned that the polymer nafion, which we use a lot, because it, it produces very nice exclusion zones, and we learned that uh, it 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 was available not only in sheet-like form, which we had used, but also um, in 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 uh, a, a tube tubular form, like a straw. And so I asked this student, I thought, you know, simple simple experiment, take a look at it and see, see if it produces exclusion zones. We knew that a sheet-like one produced exclusion zones, and we wondered whether the curvature of this tube-like Nafion might impair its ability to produce exclusion zones. Within a week, he had the answer. Yes, it produces exclusion zones, and um, and that's that's okay. But he had nothing to do after that. And I think I was busy somewhere at a, a European symposium. I we didn't have good opportunity um, uh, to to discuss what to do next. So on his own initiative, he he was playing around, and he looked at the at, at the cylinder and in in the chamber, and he noticed something. He said he noticed that that there was flow inside the tube. The water was flowing through the inside of the tube and it kept going. didn't stop. Um, And by the way, we've had it going for as much as a day and a half now without stopping. So uh, um, when he came barging into my office (laughs) to tell me the news, usually the students are polite. I leave my door slightly ajar because I, you know, I'm welcoming the students who would like to come in and talk about anything, what they're doing, uh, you know, what color to paint their room. <laughs> you know, where's a restaurant to whatever, whatever, whatever they want to talk about. Uh, but, you know, this time and, and so I leave it a jar and that usually they'll pop their head in and say, you know, may I come in and talk to you? And the answer is always yes, unless I'm really deeply engaged. So this time I was deeply engaged. It was I, I had a visitor. And as I recall, he was um, quote, an important visitor, but the guy was really boring. And I was looking for a distraction. So the student comes in and he said, I've got something I think is interesting I want to tell you, but he really barged in. And I I feigned uh, irritation with him for barging in when I'm speaking to this important person. But secretly, I was so happy because the guy was boring, <laughs> or at least we didn't have so much to to talk about. So he said, I, I found that the flow goes through the tube and keeps going and of course we immediately checked and 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 he was correct and you know so we try to figure out what's going on and but I thought this is fantastic because if true, it means it has to be a source of energy to drive the flow, right And um, flow water has viscosity uh, easy water particularly has a lot of viscosity. And where it means there's got to be energy, but there's no obvious energy, because the, the, this tube was lying in the horizontal position. Um, and there's no pressure difference between, between one end and the other end yet uh, the water kept flowing it wouldn't stop. So there had to be some energy and we had just found that water is absorbing infrared energy and, in fact, it's the infrared energy that was responsible for building the EZ. Um so I thought, well, this looks like it could could confirm that uh what we had measured using an, another another approach because you got to have some kind of energy. And we couldn't identify any other energy besides the one I just mentioned to you. So I thought this is cool. But we found something that was even more interesting. Um, um so it it started I and mean, we we confirmed it we we understood that The reason that there was flow um, was that just inside the tube, there was an EZ that was created, an annular EZ with negative charge. And complementing that, just as I mentioned before, were protons, positive charges. And they were lying at the core of the tube, right in the center line of uh, of the tube, pretty much. And those protons repelled one another. They wanted to exit the tube and as soon as they started to exit the tube they're link to the water molecules inside if they went out this way as soon as the water uh, is evacuating in this direction that would pull in other water and and it would perpetuate just keep going um that was the mechanism that we found so soon after that I was on a trip to Russia and uh I was visiting my friend Vladimir Vyakov, who is uh, uh, the vice chair of the biochemistry department at Moscow University. And we're friends. Um, And so I went to visit him in his office and and immediately he wants to introduce me to his neighbor and neighboring laboratory. Okay, no problem. And so I am introduced the guy doesn't speak English. So Vladimir had to have to translate. And the guy starts with a sentence. There's a big problem in the cardiovascular system, was the opening sentence. Um, I'm thinking, what's going on here? I, I know something about the cardiovascular system. I did my PhD studying the pressures and flows, and you know, that exist in the arteries and veins and all that stuff. And I built a computer model um, that uh, would demonstrate it, and I thought, you know, I had my nose up in the air. Uh, there was a, some element of arrogance. What the hell is this guy going to tell me that? Because I, I think I know and I understand that we had it all worked out. Well, within five minutes, he had me convinced indeed that there's a real problem in the cardiovascular system. And I don't know if you guys, um, well, maybe if you know our stuff, you you know what I'm talking about, but most people never really think about it. And that is the following. And it is a real problem. That is, um, the capillaries um, are, of course, they have different diameters, but the smallest ones go down to three or four micrometers in diameter. But the red blood cells that need to pass through them are six or seven microns in diameter. So you got a problem, um, you know, um, in order for those red blood cells to get through, they need to be squeezed down. And you could You could see the squeezing if you look at videos uh, uh, which which we have of red blood cells passing through those capillaries, something has to squeeze them down. Um, And the guy was saying it requires a lot of energy and they calculated the amount of energy based on the stiffness of the red blood cell and and such, and they calculated that uh, if the heart were responsible. For this, the pressure that would need to be developed is so high to to squeeze them and and drive them through he said that the the heart it would be necessary for the left ventricle to develop a pressure something like 1 million times the pressure it ordinarily develops and that would be you might say high blood pressure (laughs) so obviously there's something is going on he's so he concluded there must be another Another source of energy in the cardiovascular system can't just be the ventricle because it can't develop enough pressure to accomplish all this. It's sort of sort of like your toilet, uh, and and uh, mine just had a backup, by the way, um, and the plumber had to come today. Uh, so you know what happens. Uh, ordinarily, you know, you take the plunger and, and you push and it clears, but it requires a fair amount of energy. Um, now multiply this by the number of red blood cells and you you get a picture so i went away uh, scratching my head and thinking this guy this guy was inventing a half dozen different possible options for an alternative or additional driver uh, through the cardiovascular system and i'm thinking hmm, we just we just did an experiment um, taking these tubular nafion tubes and others of similar nature, and the flow occurs, you might say, spontaneously. It isn't exactly spontaneous, but because it's driven by infrared energy, um, ultimately, which is all around us and which we receive all the time and also comes from the core of our body, from the heat that's generated. So I'm thinking, could it be possible? that the same thing is operating in your cardiovascular system and mine in other words that the system is driven not just by the heart but also by the vessels themselves so we did the experiment or i should say that uh Lee li in in uh, a student uh, working in in my lab uh did did the experiment and when i when i proposed this hypothesis he told me he said he, he revealed to me later he thought I was in some kind of drug because this is weird, you know, this this idea. But um, he confirmed it and and so he did an experiment with with a, a chick embryo, the cardiovascular system of chick embryo. And when the embryo is three days old, it's pretty pure. The, the cardiovascular system is pretty well developed. But the regulatory systems are yet to be developed, so so it's a pretty pure system. And and the first thing he did was stop the heart. Um, you know, and you can do this by injecting potassium chloride, and the heart stops essentially immediately. So you might expect you guys you guys are astute, so you you might not expect that the average person would say, "Well, yeah, as soon as the heart stops beating, the blood stops flowing." It's sort of the definition of the boundary between life and death. But the surprise is not only that he was able to confirm that it keeps flowing, lower velocity, but it keeps going, even though the heart's not beating. So there must be some other driving driving energy some, somehow. But in fact, he was conscientious and he checked uh, to see, and it turned out um, Uh, It turns out that uh, Li, Zheng Li, uh, was able to find a half dozen papers that have been published over the past hundred years that drew the same conclusion. Uh, They found in various, each model that was used, it was different animal, different, uh, everything was different, but they had the same conclusion that when the heart stopped beating, the blood did not stop flowing. It kept flowing, albeit at lower velocity. So, there needs to be some other other source. So, the second thing he did was to test the uh, the signature feature of the mechanism that the student, the undergraduate student had found in the lab. that is, if you um it's run on infrared energy. Therefore, if you add infrared energy, it should go faster. And it's exactly what he found. Um, the signature feature of the phenomenon. He uh, added an infrared source when he turned it on. uh, The blood flow increased by three
0: times and he turned it off and it returned to the baseline. Was this, sorry, was this after the heart had been stopped that he was increasing the flow?
2: Wow. After the heart had been stopped. So flow is occurring and then he brings the infrared source, turns it on and it goes faster, turns it off, it returns to baseline. So it doesn't prove. Doesn't prove that the mechanism exists, but it, it's certainly um, uh, an unexpected feature that's compatible. It's the signature feature of that mechanism, so it looks like it does occur. And we we know the, that there is a problem that you need energy somehow to drive because the red blood cells need to be squeezed. So, so we think. Um, uh, uh, and the reason all of this uh, i'm sorry this is a long story but the reason that it's significant and important you asked me what are the couple of most important ones is that it looks like you you guys and maybe myself too our cardiovascular systems are run not just by our heart but also by the vessels themselves you know you might call it a sort of revolution in in cardiovascular dynamics or something because the last real revolution uh, was, I guess, by William Harvey, um, who discovered the circulation, you know. Uh, and that was like, I don't know, five, six hundred years ago or something. And now, so he he surmised it was run by the heart. And from what what we see, we surmise that it's not only the heart, of course, the heart contributes, but also the vessels themselves. And, uh, well, uh, so... Okay, so I I related to you what I think are a, a couple of the more significant findings. Um, if that answers your question, think yeah. you're eager to maybe uh, ask different questions or more questions, and I'm happy to try to answer. Yeah,
0: I think it's fascinating that the the kind of like the timing of that when when in the lab you had seen the, the water moving through this tube and then. The connection to this, you know, trip that you made over to Russia and and saying, here, we have this problem with with the cardiovascular system and then making that link of, wait, if like the water is flowing through because it's got this energy, could it be a similar thing? One of the things that just is, it piques my curiosity, you know, just zooming back from water and our own cardiovascular system, but knowing that energy is, uh, is going to be a big and is a big issue in terms of our world and the amount that we're consuming and we keep adding more people, which is lovely, but we're, our demand for energy and everything is, is um, skyrocketing, skyrocketing, whether it's coal energy or gas or natural gas or solar and the kind of hunt for quote-unquote green energy or renewable energy. To me, I- I'm really curious as to be like on what scale could this energy be used and produced to potentially offset some of our traditional forms of of you know powering our vehicles and homes and th- our devices that tell us when to be places and beep at us and all that like could could this water energy be harnessed um to to help produce what the energy that we use to power our, our lives and and maybe we don't just know, uh how oh sorry you you I was just gonna
1: say maybe to add to that uh question, um in your answer, maybe you can explain how light charges easy water as well. So that's sure, um sure. Okay. I think...
2: Okay, okay. Well, uh, uh to to answer your question first, um, and please remind me if I if I go astray and forget to return yes, to your
1: absolutely, your thank question. you.
2: Um so you know, I mentioned the easy water uh, uh as it forms, it creates a battery-like um, effect. And um, we wanted to see whether we could harness that in some way to to get electricity. And we did the experiment and uh, we put one electrode in the EZ, that's the negative part. The other electrode where the protons are, that's the positive part and we connected them to a load and the load was an LED, a light emitting diode to see if we could light the diode and we could. And I have a video that I often show. So it works. There's no question that it works. Um, The question is, is, uh, can you scale it up to? uh, um, And uh, we don't know the answer to that yet, because we we haven't pursued it, but it's absolutely worth pursuing. And we want to pursue that. But, you know, sometimes uh, it's difficult to get money uh you need money to do the experiments to hire the people and the equipment whatever and we had a private supporter for um i think 6 or 7 years he was great he said here's the money do what you want to do and and we did and we there were so many competing experiments to do we we did what we could do unfortunately Unfortunately, he ran into some financial difficulty and uh, regrettably had to pull out. He, he still re- retains his great enthusiasm about all this stuff. But so we we had to begin looking for other sources of money. and We did get uh, uh, a modest amount from, from somebody to do particular experiments. But, you know, we're looking around and I, one of the things that we do want to do is to in a, in a sense, answer your question, um, uh, is, is, is this energy that you can get simply from the, you might call it water battery? Um, how how much energy is there? Is it enough to scale up to make a difference? I think it may be, uh, uh, that may be the case, we need to do the experiments to, to check it and to do it, we need, we need more, more support. But the reason I think so is, is that what we found is, is actually not so different from the first step of photosynthesis. First step of photosynthesis, light comes, and it splits the water into negative and positive. Well, that's what we found as well. So I think what we found, it's possible that this is a a generic first step of photosynthesis, that it's not Uh, It's not just the chlorophyll and and the plants and and the water, but that's one manifestation of the general feature that that we've identified. And that's a particularly effective and efficient one. And and therefore, it's used to power our plants and also even some bacteria, single-celled organisms use it. And and what I'm getting to is that that first step, the splitting of water, is known to be 100% efficient. Now, if it's hundred percent efficient, and and what we found really does uh, uh, resemble the first step of photosynthesis, it means it's going to be very efficient. And if it's very efficient, in all likelihood, uh, it's going to generate a fair amount of electrical energy. Which means, which means that it's a good sign for the fact for the uh, expectation that this might be really, really useful for our society. We love to follow up. Uh, we need to do before it could ever, ever be handled by a company. There's still some fundamental issues that need to be addressed, and we would like to. And I think we have the capability of addressing those. We just need support to do it. So it could it could turn out to be a revolution uh, in technology. We don't our, our our own group. We don't usually deal much in technology, but we do. with deal with the science underlying the technology. And that's what we would like to do uh, more.
0: Oh, that'd be amazing. That would be amazing. To, well, to...
2: I, I think so, too. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, just, and, and, you know, this sort of uh, sun, you might say, sun-powered or infrared-powered uh, uh, battery, uh, it, it uh, um, it doesn't deplete any resources uh, it's renewable because it depends on infrared energy most of which comes from the sun um, and also from objects around us which radiate infrared energy uh, and water so it's renewable uh, it as we can actually tap energy coming from the sun uh, nobody knows exactly where that has come from or how long it's going to last or whatever to to get electricity so so yeah um, that's my answer to your question now you had a follow-up question that could you tell uh, me you you kind mind? of
1: touched on it but just how light charges easy water
2: well okay um so light is the any any battery uh, needs charging so you know your your cell phone battery runs down and you plug it in at night you wake up in the morning and it's it's recharged and you can use it. Uh, every battery needs to be charged in some way. So the easy battery needs to be charged. And the charge comes from, as I said, from, from infrared energy. Uh, And, um, and so it's pretty much the same. That's the, uh, it's the infrared energy that, that does the job. And it's, it's all around us. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be efficient. It is efficient. And, uh, yeah so so there's plenty of energy oh, sorry does that answer your question or your question Yes went yes
1: wrong? definitely I mean it's also mind blowing and mind altering if we can accept um you know these these concepts and put them into practice or or just you know further explore them I think our our understanding of of water and energy and um our own you know cellular um um properties it's all opens up so much oh much so much to what's possible now with with the fourth phase of water so we've got the you know the the water the, the the liquid the solid the vapor and then when we consume the the water into our bodies our water our bodies convert it into the easy water the fourth phase and to my understanding there's you know Practices like structuring our water that can create more easy water for our body to absorb, but just I'm curious: in nature, uh, do we find examples of, of easy water in nature? Like, is is honey uh, easy water, or the sap from a tree, or the chia seeds, or aloe vera, or I know you have mentioned juicing. Um, we're taking you know the the liquid from the fruits and vegetables, and that is a form of of uh easy our our structured water um can you kind of uh, allude to that a little bit further of of examples of easy water in nature if if that exists well yeah
2: um yeah, so there're many things to say about that first of all you know if if um um again if i go astray please yes i have a tendency to do that uh we'll
1: we'll follow along uh, wherever I, you go <laughs> you
2: know, you, if you do, the uh, first point is that all your cells are filled with easy water. Uh, second point is that the easy water is an integral part of everything that your cell does. And that's not, you won't find that in the textbooks, but uh, the idea of structured water, which sort of is a more generic form uh, or statement of easy water, uh, which is discussed in, in that sales gels and the engines of, of, of life uh, uh book. Um it's uh um uh how should I how should I put it exactly? Um it must be it it plays a, a central role in everything your sales do. And so that central role discussed in the book is this. Um, when you're a cell, take a muscle cell, for example, but the same applies to any cell in your body. Of course, we didn't study every cell in your body, but in in, in general, when a cell, as the muscle cell is an example, when it's relaxed, the water is easy water. In the 2001, we called it structured water. Now we know more, but it's basically the ordered form of water um, when the muscle is relaxed. When the muscle is activated to contract, the textbook will tell you that the proteins uh, undergo some sort of conformational change to produce the action. Uh, well, the evidence is it's not just the proteins that undergo the changes, the water too. the water transitions from easy water to liquid water. Um, and then, when the contraction is over. Um, it transforms back to easy water, which means that the easy water is is critical for everything the cell does and if you don't have enough easy water which parenthesis means you're dehydrated uh because this is the hydration uh of of the cell it it won't work as well um and if you have a huge deficiency of easy it won't work at all Uh, so So the cell is with some deficiency of easy water, it's dysfunctional and then it goes to pathological. So it's really important to have a full complement of easy water. Now you can get that easy water in several different ways. One is drinking the water as you as as you mentioned. So your body converts at least some of the liquid water into easy water. The rest gets peed out. Um, so if you happen to go to the toilet a few times a day, uh, that's what's going on. Uh, but some of the water stays; it gets converted because you've got lots of infrared energy, the energy that is responsible for building this. It comes from inside your body and outside your body. And inevitably it builds easy water. So there's an attempt to, to build easy water to full capacity. And that certainly occurs in healthy people especially healthy young people as you get older with lots of wrinkles <clears throat> um you're less hydrated which means you have less easy water which in turn means that your your body uh has lost some of its capacity to structure the water from from ordinary liquid water that you drink uh, to structure it to fill your cells with easy water uh and so we're <sighs> Some of us are more dehydrated than others, but the goal, the main goal, is to fill yourself with easy water, right? And so you can do it a number of ways. And one way that we just discussed is drink, drink water, drink a lot of water, or get the water from, say, from from foods, because the foods are many. Of, most of the foods are filled with some kind of water, and easy is is uh, most probable, but they all contain water. Um, and um, but uh, another way to do it is one that you you mentioned is uh, juicing so what's juicing so you go to your backyard and you um, you've been growing some fresh fresh plants and the leaves are newly grown leaves that are functioning as though they're infants or babies um, um, and they're they're really healthy so you take the leaf or leaves and you squeeze them and there are machines, you know, uh, that uh, do this, and you get the juice. And why? Why the juice? I'll tell you why in a moment, but you don't want all the pulp from it because it fills your stomach so quickly that you stop having any interest in in drinking anything or eating drinking any anymore. So you squeeze it, you squeeze the water. Now, what is that water? The water? The water is the water uh, from uh, inside the plant cells it's easy water it's easy because it's got a lot of easy because the plant the leaves are really fresh young leaves that are that are healthy so they're filled with easy so you take this water this easy water and you know you may add a little bit of something to make it more palatable and you drink it and so you're drinking easy water um it's the water from inside the plant cell it's got easy just the same way as we have easy so you borrow that easy from the plants, drink it, and that easy can fill your cells with the easy water that might be missing. And then you feel better. Your um either your pathology could be reserved, re- reversed, or the dysfunction can be made into function simply by adding more easy, easy water. And you can get that from your backyard. Um, Okay, so you can also get it other ways, um, you know, since since heat, well, infrared energy, um, which is sort of equivalent, not exactly to heat, but the two are closely uh, related. So I don't know about you guys in Vancouver, um, but, you know, when I visit Russia or Finland, they always take me to the sauna, sauna, they say sauna, or in Russia, the banya, which is pretty much the same, and... So you take off all your clothing, um, or at least those of us who are not modest, uh, take off all your clothing and you expose yourself to infrared energy. It's hot. It's just full of infrared energy. You absorb the infrared energy. um, And what happens? Well, the water inside your body uh, gets converted from liquid water to easy water. It helps to build easy water in your cells. So if you walk in with a muscle ache, or depression uh, or you know any other and you sit and absorb that infrared energy uh, for 30 minutes or 20 minutes you come out feeling better because whatever cells are responsible for your issue whatever your issue is uh, are now being repaired they're being repaired because of the growth of easy water uh, from the infrared energy that's surrounding you so that's another way uh, 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 of a building hydration in yourselves cells um, uh through through heat sometimes also you guys you know same situation is is in Seattle in Seattle in the winter time is gray and when the sun comes out you kind of start smiling or you see people smiling why are they smiling well you know it it's possible that it's simply some kind of uh uh psychological effect and that that's perfectly Uh, plausible but in addition to that um, you're exposing yourself to the sun something like 50 percent of the energy from the sun that gets through to us is in the infrared range it's why we feel warm from the sun Um, and and so we absorb that and the absorption occurs throughout our body and also our head we know that infrared can penetrate the skull because there are imaging methods brain imaging where you start with infrared energy from outside, um, it penetrates, it gets scattered, it comes back, it's collected, analyzed, and you have an image of the brain, which means that infrared energy passes through the skull. So you go out, you expose yourself to the sun, you absorb infrared energy, you build easy water in the cells in your brain, and and you return to the, to your natural default state, which is, happy, uh, not depressed. Um, so I think this is one one reason why in Vancouver and Seattle and maybe some other places too, the <laughs> um, sun comes out and we smile. So those are just a few of the expedients that can be used. And we discovered a few more. Uh, uh, but I think you have different questions to ask. on. Um, but, but yeah, there are ways to do it. and these ways are actually pretty simple.
1: I have to say it, um, the structured water, the easy water that comes from plants into our juice, really blew my mind because um, I've got a, by the, aside from podcasting, I have a cold pressed juice business here in Vancouver. And yeah. uh, I never, you know, I was always so interested in, in the nutrients and, and how our body could quickly assimilate them. And you know, always observed how good I felt, you know, drinking lots of juice. But I never understood um, that component of what juicing does, and it really um, kind of excited me. You know, and when you're when you have something that you do in practice and you learn something in addition to your your current understanding, um, it just made it all the more exciting. So, I, I'm well, great. That's
2: great. I uh, happy happy to hear that. Yeah. You know this this whole fourth phase paradigm uh, is if true it means that your your way of thinking it will, has to change enormously uh practically everything is different and you know for some people that brings a kind of satisfaction um uh, and excitement to to uh, be thinking uh, along different lines because uh you know the it, it forms a nucleus for so many so many things uh in in nature when 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 the water it turns out that it's like a battery you know uh, you can imagine all kinds of things that pop up in nature that you never would have thought of uh, yeah so if it's true and you know not everybody agrees uh there there has been some dissension some some uh, objection to it and including from my own university um on the other hand uh, you know, the fourth phase of water book has been so incredibly popular. Uh, I, 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 sometimes when I'm feeling low or depressed or something, I look at the reviews of the book and I feel better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has, uh, it hasn't, I, we we're just looking at it here. It's got, uh, you know, the amount of five-star ratings would be compared to that of a, a popular fiction book, so it's it's quite... Uh... Well,
2: indeed, I, you know, I someone suggested, and I checked, Harry Potter, I you know, who is the... And uh, I looked at the the most popular title from Harry Potter, and it's just a few points, a few percentage points above the fourth phase of water. Uh, doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, maybe it means that it it's fiction or it reads like a novel or something like that but but the popularity is just uh, um you know it's it blows my mind sometimes and and the book is translated into uh i think nine languages now with two in the works uh, so that's where we are um uh, uh, it's been fun and, and i've got two more books on the agenda um exciting I'm excited to see these emerge uh,
0: and we'll see what, how
2: it goes. How they're,
0: how they're received. Yeah. I think, I think part of the, for sure for me, part of the intrigue and everything is that it's, it's like I'd said before, you know, something that we're surrounded with and we, always are drinking water. And we know, you know, we're told from an early age, oh, make sure you drink enough water. And, you know, we bathe and shower. And it's such a part of our normal part of our life. And then to to start to go into it and see all of all of the kind of like mystery and wonder that is held in it is kind of what is so fascinating about it. I mean, there's a great quote we have here from Albert St. Georgie. who says, discovery consists of seeing what everybody else has seen and then thinking what nobody else has thought. And it feels like that as you start to explore, you know, the potential of, of all that water has to offer is like, it's, everybody knows that everybody's seen it. We all love it. We all need it, rely on it, but to, to begin to see it in these new lights is absolutely uh, wonderful. And one of the pieces uh, yeah. really that stands out is this concept that like water can hold memory. Can you speak to that well, a little bit?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those, exotic features that um you know for someone who's never been exposed to it it seems like crazy thinking um but the uh, you know about the the work of Misara Imoto and um just this just this morning i was um communicating by zoom with Hiro Imoto the son of Masaru Imoto who is continuing uh the work and in and that group of people and they're still pretty active and so um I, I i'm not sure if everybody knows the guy what emoto did he demonstrated water memory and and he demonstrated it or information in water by for for example um uh conferring his positive intention to the water thinking um that water is lovely, or thinking about peace, uh, or, you know, positive kinds of of thinking, and then he would freeze the water, and look at the water crystals. And if he, uh, if he, if he was conveying positive intention, the crystals would be beautiful. And if it's negative uh, intention, like you fool, or I hate you, or uh, something like that, the crystals would be ugly. And Almost no scientist takes his work seriously, and and to some extent for good reason, because he would freeze 50 Petri dishes, and of the 50, he'd examine every one of them and pick out the one that best illustrated what he wanted to show. Scientists would never do that. They'd they'd choose randomly, you know. um, But increasingly, not only from the Emoto group, but also from some other people who were doing... Uh, similar experiments like Veda Austin in New Zealand, um, they're finding that all these these phenomena are repeatable, that if you present the same stimulus to the water, you get pretty much the same response. Not identical, but pretty much the same. And I think once this is published, uh, people will pay more attention to it. But the upshot of this is basically that you know, there's information that's being conveyed to the water. Some of it is subtle information. They also played music to the water, and Mozart gave great crystals, um, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, hard rock did not, as you as you, you can ima- imagine. So this is the future. I think it's coming. It it demonstrates that somehow the water is able to receive this information, this subtle information, um, and 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 change its structure uh, as as a, as a consequence. But it's not just Emoto, who was a spiritualist, not a scientist, he died some years ago, but uh, other people. So we organize uh, each year, um, annual water conference on the physics, chemistry, and biology of water. It's in its 15th year. Each year, um, you know, I invited diversity of people, but usually there are two or three presentations that will deal with water memory or information in 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 water um so there are actually many different laboratories who are who are studying it seriously um and have received positive results and i guess the perhaps the most impressive exemplar of that is uh luke montagnier who unfortunately died almost a year ago and he won nobel prize uh his nobel prize was not for water memory i doubt that there's going to be a Nobel Prize for that in, in anytime soon, too controversial. But uh, he started doing experiments on, on uh, water information and, and memory, and he spent 10 years doing it. He'd come to our water conference each year and make a presentation, and um, he enjoyed our conference because he was received warmly and not skeptically, as he's been received by people outside of um. Uh, I I hesitate to to say our group because it's not really a group or our group, but people who are open to the idea of uh, water memory. Most people just dismiss it. That's crazy. You know, this is nonsense. Um, And what Luke found, uh, uh, maybe you you guys know, he was found, he, he actually found that he could reproduce the information from the structure of DNA in water. So he He would take a flask uh, filled with DNA in water or in a buffer. The DNA typically was diluted, and in later experiments it was diluted to the point where there was even no DNA left, but just the water that had been um, in contact with the DNA. And that was in a sealed flask. Near that sealed flask was another sealed flask that contained only water. And his hypothesis was that The dna or the water that surrounded the dna is is somehow sending out some information that's being received uh, by the container of pure water and the two would sit near one another for 24 hours he'd add some 50 hertz or 60 hertz energy to kind of pump up the system a little bit and then he'd take this water this uh that he said was informed and he'd make new dna uh, using the PCR technique that we all know because of uh, uh, of the pandemic. Um, and that that PCR technique produces um, uh, a lot of DNA, usually from from an original DNA that's put in there, but there was no it was only water that was added to the ingredients and that water had been uh, arguably informed by real DNA uh, something like hundred base pairs. And sure enough, the new DNA that's formed had the same sequence as the original DNA sitting next to the water. Wow is right. Wow. You know, so that so I'm giving you uh, two examples that at the two ends of the spectrum, one done by a spiritualist. And we don't really know exactly how repeatable his stuff was all the way to a Nobel laureate uh, who, who obviously knew what he was doing and produced interesting results that now have been confirmed by three laboratories, um, two from Italy, one uh, from China, who have published their work. And, you know, the, the usual is to say, well, if, some, if something can be confirmed by another laboratory, then we say, oh, well, maybe it's right, even though we don't like to believe it. But now this has been confirmed by three laboratories. So it's really hard to get your head around how how this can can occur but but you know it implies that the water must have some memory um of the information and this information is now coming from the dna or from the water surrounding the dna is being somehow some energy is coming from that and being delivered to pure water which then gets the information uh so amazing and many other people in between you know a spiritualist and a Nobel laureate in science have been doing uh, various kinds of experiments uh, all of which have shown that there's somehow there's information in water personally I think I think the water uh, the uh, this the information storage occurs in the easy water because it's like a crystal and and um liquid water for example the molecules are randomly disposed and moving around so many times uh, per second per even per, per femtosecond and it, it's hard to imagine how that could store information you know if you, you know, if you're a criterion is let's look at a computer memory which we know stores information how does that work is there any similarity to either liquid water or easy water and there's a great similarity to easy water because um um the way, the way it works uh, is um, um, in, a, in a computer memory, for example, if you take your memory stick that you can uh, plug in the, uh, into your computer, it consists of an array of transistors, a two-dimensional array where all the transistors are at fixed points. So they're regularly uh, organized in that planar sheet. And each transistor can have... a, a Two different states, uh, one that you know we call zero, and another we call one or on or off, and it's the distribution of these zeros and ones over this plane uh, that gives us the information, like a portrait of you or something like this. So, what about the EZ water? Does it does it have a similar capacity? And um, the answer is yes, absolutely, because as I mentioned, um, the EZ grows in sheets, and each sheet. Um, is very well oriented. And then there are multiple sheets. So the, inf- the distribution, the regular distribution of components occurs not only in the two-dimensional plane, but in the third dimension too. Um, and then it turns out of the hydrogens and oxygens that are, are, are in this three-dimensional array, um, the oxygens can have different states. Not just two states, but five states. Um, Oxygen has a so-called oxidation state um, of minus two is the one that we we know the best and we call it valence. And then there's minus one, zero, plus one, plus two. So not only does the EZ have the characteristics needed to constitute a memory, but ultimately the the memory density um, uh, is so high, we we compute it because we're dealing with the atomic level not the transistor level so we computed uh, at least ideally that you could you could get uh, uh 10 to the ninth. that is a billion times the the uh, information density compared with what's available today uh, so if if this happens you know it may be that your thumb drive will contain easy water right and Amazing. have,
0: have yeah. infinite more storage capacity than the biggest one that currently exists
2: yeah totally yeah. Absolutely. that is so you know computer is... the size of a pinhead <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah it's also mind blowing i've got I've got one more water question, and then maybe we can just uh touch on your new books for a minute before we wrap up sure. uh okay. one one point you made that I found really uh fascinating and I thought would have broad appeal to to the masses was how easy water reacts with the folded proteins in our bodies and the implication this could have for recovery or just how we feel on a day-to-day basis. Um, can you just kind of touch on how easy water reacts with the folded proteins in our bodies?
2: Well, yeah. Um, um, so um, go. let's go back one step. And th- this is something that's that's described in in the the first book, the sales gels and the engines of life. Even though instead of easy water, it's reads structured water. But you know, because we learned something since then. But the principle is the same, and it's the principle that I began to to discuss earlier. That in 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 the quiescent or relaxed state, the water is easy water, uh, and then um, and then what happens is when the cell is activated two things happen, one is the proteins fold, they go from their extended state to their folded state, that's what you're talking about, and the water um, transitions from the ordered easy water uh, uh, to liquid water, um, and then it goes back again uh, after the, the cell does what it's in, intended to do, and that could be a contraction or a secretion or you know, whatever. So, so yeah, so, to go from the folded protein um to the unfolded protein involves a transition of the water back from liquid water back to easy water and this is the energy requiring state and the problem is if you don't have enough energy um um, won't go back and so for example uh if you play two two matches of tennis um you're dead (laughs) uh you go sit on the bench and um what you need to do is you need to drink some water. You drink some water, you drink a liter of water, and you get some of your energy back and you're almost ready to play a third match after those two matches have, have exhausted you because your cells need to be rehydrated. You're, you need to be rehydrated, but at the cellular level, it turns out it 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 corresponds to rebuilding easy water. In the you know, and in the case of the tennis matches, you may get a cramp in your leg. What does that mean? Uh, well, it means that the muscle is contracted. It can't return back to the original state because there's not enough energy, you've exhausted it, to return the proteins uh, to their extended state from the folder, and the water especially, from its uh, liquid state back to the EZ state. You have to do both of those to return to the initial condition. And with two rounds of tennis you don't always you don't always get there so you you have a knot in your muscle um so yeah so that's what's that's what's involved in 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 restoring the energy back to um or re, re, restoring the proteins in the water back to their state i i just want to add one one thing to it um which you guys will understand i i'm not i'm not sure whether people in your audience Know about action potentials, but but you know, uh, what cells most cells, not all cells, uh, do is that there's a phasic change of electrical potential. You, you put the electrode inside the cell, and you may read uh, minus 70 millivolts, let's say. And the, first of all, the reason why you read this, um, I believe and I've argued, and maybe. Too much to go through the arguments is nothing to do with channels and pumps in the cell membrane which is what you would read in in a standard textbook um namely if you stick the same electrode in a gel which has no membrane no channels no pumps you get the same result and so it's kind of hard to argue that um that in the case of a cell it's due to the uh, pumps and channels in the, the membrane so what does it do to well if easy water is negatively charged and the cell is filled with easy water, it's a kind of no brainer. Of course, you're going to measure negative charge if you stick an electrode in, because because basically all the components um, uh, in, inside the cell are negatively charged. So you're going to um, to to read a negative electrical potential. Um, so so that you know that's a, a, a kind of a basic. The electrical potential is a, a basic feature. Now, where was I going with that? Um, I was I was digressing. Um, let's see what the, the point that I um, that I um, wanted to make. Sorry, could you refresh me again? I, uh, somebody walked in and distracted me. What what was the the question that you?
1: We were talking we, about the easy water reacts with folded proteins in our bodies.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, and I was digressing to talk about about the so-called action potential. So, so the cell has a negative electrical potential um, uh, due to the water, the easy water that's in the cell. Now, as I said a moment ago, step one is that the easy water, the ordered water, uh, transitions into ordinary uh, water, um, and um, And if you measure the electrical potential of the cell, um, what happens is at the initiation of action, um, the cell starts at, let's say, minus 70 millivolts. And then it goes to zero um, quickly. And then it returns. It's called the action potential. And it's considered um, essentially unrelated to other events. It's like a trigger. But I think it's part of the actual protein folding mechanism that I've been describing it falls out naturally because if it if it starts at easy water and then it goes to liquid water the electrical potential will go from minus 70 to zero and that's exactly what you see so so I would say that um uh, there's a good chance that the so-called action potential that occurs in in in, in cells has everything to do with the water that undergoes a transition from easy to liquid and then back again. That's the main point that I wanted to make.
1: Amazing. Um our 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 hope is that you know our listeners absorb, if they absorb even, you know, one point from this whole conversation, that it can ripple into, you know, a whole a whole pursuit of curiosity and and questioning um these these day-to-day practices that we uh take for granted and you know don't have that curiosity or that thirst to to go further and to go deeper and to understand you know truly what uh potential uh these day-to-day things have for our lives um you know before we wrap up just because we've enjoyed your first two books uh so immensely uh, and you mentioned you have two new books coming out. Um, can you kind of just leave us with a tidbit of, of the questions and the themes of the next books that we can look forward to uh, diving into?
2: Absolutely. I'm so excited about them. Well, the first one has to do um, not specifically with biology, but nature in general. And um, the theme of the book is is that uh, the phenomena that we see every day and we understand Uh, but we don't really understand deeply uh, that that um, uh, there may be alternative explanations and these explanations inevitably involve electrical charge and and some of them involve easy water that we've we've been talking about but the essence is the the opposite charges that I've been talking about easy beyond the easy or wherever they come from that that charge forces are extremely powerful, much more than we we ever think. And there are many phenomena that we attribute to various causes that I believe don't originate from those causes because sometimes the evidence simply doesn't fit. Um, Or if you try to go uh, um, to scrape the surface and go beneath the surface and begin to ask the questions how and why, you're simply stymied. But they can be explained by uh, electrical charges. And to give an example of uh, there, are, I think dozen different features that I talk about, uh, they range from um, uh, what turns the Earth. You know, we go around every twenty four hours. And, um, does it? <laughs> is God responsible for spinning the Earth, or is there some uh, is there some force that actually makes that turns the earth. And I believe there is, and and, and the book uh, explains it. I won't, I won't give away everything, but it involves charges. What creates the wind? So if you um if you if you hear about the winds uh, or read about, people will talk about, oh, there are pressure differences, but where do these pressure differences arise? Um, you know, and and how can you get a gust of wind? Is there uh, a huge difference of pressure from here to here, uh, you know, some of these things actually don't make much, much sense. And I'm, and so I deal with that also in, involved with, with um, uh, charges. And of course, weather, weather is has everything to do with water and charges, you know, about the charges, because you've seen lightning and thunder. Um, but it's not just the thunder clouds that are charged. Um, every cloud is charged. And, and so when you start thinking of weather, if you read about weather, um, most of the of what you read is sort of a phenomenological, that you got lousy weather when you have low pressure, but you know, why is there low pressure? <laughs> and, and, and what makes the cloud? Where does the cloud come from? And how come, since the cloud is made of water? How come it, it it doesn't sink down because we know that water is heavier than air and when it does sink down as rain and why does the rain come in droplets instead of a like a pail full of water uh, et cetera, etc etc and how do you get a tornado or or um, uh, a hurricane with its characteristic uh, features all of these are dealt with in four chapters another another theme is gravitation what causes gravitation? Well, that seems like an easy one. You know, you'd say uh, if you forget about Einstein and 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 um, the curvature of space time, which I've trouble understanding, but maybe you guys can understand it. But generally, it's the idea that that we learn is that masses attract. Okay, big mass, you get a bigger gravitational pull. If you go one layer beneath that surface and ask the question, well, why? do masses attract uh, even the physicists are stumped there's no and so is that really the right answer uh, where we can answer the questions why and how i think charges are involved i won't go on to to uh describe because it 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 takes a bit of doing it we don't have the time to do that and i uh, uh later i uh i turned to um to birds how do birds fly and if I were to ask you how birds fly, you'd say, oh, they flap their wings. But you've seen birds that fly perfectly well without flapping their wings. And so that's not an adequate answer. There's something that's going on. Um, I believe it has to do with charge. I invoke that. And so many phenomena fall into place when you take account of uh, electrical charges. Um, How do fish swim? Well, it's said, if you read I read the text that uh, they'll wiggle their body um or they'll flip their tail um um but you can see fishes that move forward uh without flipping their tail or without wiggling their body and wiggling body is it seems like a kind of ineffective method of darting forward at least to me um there are other ideas that involve electrical charges and it's not just that but um and I deal with um sailboats so sailboats are not really nature but I I have to deal with them anyway because what's fun and you know Seattle and Vancouver are places where there are lots of sailboats and one of the uh, features of sailboats that you guys don't understand um um is or don't know about perhaps is do you know about um so so sailboats can go um with the wind that that's a no-brainer you know they just put out the sail and the wind pushes on the sail and they'll go downwind but they can also go upwind and um, i don't know if you guys are sailors are you sailors no no but okay so standard sailboats of which i had one can can go not directly into the wind but something like 45 degrees off the wind racing boats can go like 30 degrees off the wind so you're feeling the wind on on your face and you're going against that force but the extreme is um is the case of ice boats and there are sailboats that run on ice so it's exactly the same as an ordinary sailboat except that instead of being immersed in the water they've got runners underneath and the runners run on the ice and so the friction is like an ice skate uh friction is is very little and and they can go almost directly into the wind a few degrees off the wind so you go on one of those and you can go 100 miles an hour um they're, they're not exactly safe and you feel you feel the wind on your face huge wind on your face but you know if i press on your nose you're going to go backwards not forwards but in this case you're pressing on the nose and and the response is to move in the opposite direction. Okay, so well, I was right. So how does this work? Uh, well, again, I think charges are involved. Uh, okay, so um, that's the boring book. I'll tell you about the exciting book. <laughs> um, just, just briefly, um, it's uh, on the structure of the atom. Now you, we've all, we've all learned about atomic structure right Um, we we know that there's a nucleus which contains protons and neutrons and there are electrons that are uh, revolving around that nucleus um and it's been this model has been in the textbooks now for a hundred years so we know it must be okay uh right because it's it's been in there but but there are a few questions that arise so um simple questions so you got a nucleus And the nucleus contains neutrons and protons, according to the model. Neutrons are neutral. Protons are positively charged. And you know what happens if you try to squeeze all these positive charges together. They don't want to get squeezed together. So for that simple model, the nucleus should explode, right? It's unstable. Now, the physicists actually recognized this problem early on. And they came up with a solution to the problem. It's called the strong force. And so they uh, dreamed of a force that could exactly counteract the problem that we talked about. And now the strong force has become one of the fundamental forces of nature because it's assumed that the model is correct. And therefore, if the model is correct, you need this glue to hold it all together. A little bit less than satisfying. Now there's another problem, equally difficult. Uh, um, You guys know nucleus is positive, electrons are negative. I don't know about you guys, but I learned in middle school that minus and plus attract one another. Um, so you think you got these electrons out here, they're negative, and you've got this positive charge sitting at the center. How come a whole atom doesn't collapse into nothingness? Nobody's ever dealt with with these issues, and these are these are not uh, issues that that require uh, uh, how should I put it re, that require advanced a Ph.D. in physics to to see they're middle school uh, issues. But it's a problem, you know, and and it's not been addressed. So so to start off with, it looks like the model is is wrong, despite the fact that it's been around, and also. As you guys know, it's it's been augmented by now something like 60 subatomic particles or 65 or something. And a good theory doesn't require augmentation year after year by more and more subatomic or particles to make it work. It usually is great as it is, and it explains more things than you could have imagined at the outset. That's, that's a good model, but this model has required all of those steps So there are problems. And, you know, uh, so in this book, I address uh, an alternative possibility for the structure of the atom. Well, it turns out, I don't need to go into detail, a simple model, but it turns out, it turns out to be strikingly similar to a model that was developed um, 100 years ago, just after this solar system model came out. There were two um, prominent chemists, Irving Langmuir was one of them, and G.N. Lewis is another. We talk about Lewis bases, Lewis acids, and such. These were the, and and when they heard about about the solar system model, they shook their head and they said, "This is nonsense. It doesn't explain even the simplest of chemical reactions." And Lewis thought about models that that could make more sense, and in his uh, sketchbook, he sketched out. A model of the atom a simple model and I just I just found out a year or two ago um after I'd written the manuscript of the book which is now waiting for my son the artist to finish his drawings Um, and and his model is almost the same as the model that I came up with it has the same shape and almost the same character so I obviously I felt gratified. And these guys were the chemists of the day. And they said, this physical model is nonsense. It doesn't explain anything yet. It's now in all the textbooks. So the second book of mine um, deals with a proposed structure of the atom, which I argue can explain much more than can be accepted model. So those are the two books. And my son has been busy he's a talented artist he's the one who illustrated the fourth phase of water which so many people commented on and he has been busy for three years remodeling his home Mm -hmm. (laughs) and finally um finally uh um, he's not finished yet but he's ramping up and so i expect the two books the first book should be out maybe six months or so and the second book on the atom maybe in a year or a year and a half so um, I hope that answers your question, and I'm excited about it. We'll see what happens.
1: Um, yeah, um, that, that that's amazing. Uh, we're, we're I can speak for for both of us. We're so excited for those books to come out, and you know, perhaps we can have another conversation after they come out. And uh, sure, absolutely. To, just um, wanted to pass on uh, gratitude for for your your curiosity and the questions that you ask, and and the the answers and the hypothesis that you seek i think it um, you know allows all of us to see the world in a different light and and to be curious in our own ways so thank you for for being curious and for asking these questions and for looking for the answers in ways that you know hadn't been looked at um, you know previously um,
2: well, thank you for your kind comments which i appreciate very much so thank you uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to those two books that are coming out uh, even more than you are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amazing. I'm sure. All right, well, before we let you go, we have one closing question that we ask all of our guests, and I'll uh, I'll let Dean uh, bring it to a conclusion for this conversation.
0: Sure, okay. yeah. I'm game. <laughs> so we, uh, Zach and I, called this podcast A Little More Good, just knowing that that's what we wanted to do uh, in this world, create, CB, be, all of those things. And... um you know it's led us to incredible conversations with people who are just up to very very unique and cool inspirational stuff in the world, leading with curiosity and so we always love to ask our guest, what does that phrase mean to you? which a phrase little, a little more good uh, Oh uh,
2: how many minutes do we have left? <laughs> uh, a little more good well okay so there are there are, there are two. Um, uh answers first of all good for Humanity um you know we talked a bit about electricity getting electricity from water um and that comes from the fundamental um, identification of the fourth phase of uh, of of water uh eventually it's possible that it could lead to practical application, that's one of them. Another one is filtration, we actually worked on developing a, a filter that could filter almost everything. Because, um, you know, you, you, you think of a black box, you put water that's contaminated into the black box. And um, an easy is created, if you have a right situation, and all the junk is excluded from the easy. So if you capture that excluded junk, you're capturing all the contaminants. Basically, dump them and that's a filter and it's a filter it's it's, we call it filterless filter because there's no physical filter the the filtration occurs by virtue of the infrared energy build which is all around us uh, that occur that's the separation and and it works Uh, we've been able to separate um in one pass something like uh 200 to one concentration uh contaminant versus contaminant free um and we spent some time uh, trying to increase the throughput, and again we ran into some some issues because it w- wasn't working consistently. And more fundamental research is needed. But I'm suggesting to you that we can do the separation, and it's another another thing needed by the world. So that you know that's part of the contribution. We believe we can separate salt in the same way, and therefore uh, we can take ocean water. And we could get drinking water from the ocean. We haven't spent a lot of time on that, but we think we can do that too. So I've given you three examples of, you might say, uh, potential practical uses, apart from the computer memory that would be the size of a pinhead, which we which we talked about. So there's a lot of practical stuff, but I wouldn't put that first. Um, I would I would put first. Um, the, the uh, identification of the workings of nature. Uh, there are not too many people doing that these days, and that was confirmed in today's New York Times article, where they cite uh, some researchers who have done analysis um, on the amount of sort of revolutionary science that's occurred over the years. It was very high in 1945, and there's been a linear decline Ever since 1945 until today, there's essentially almost nothing revolutionary that's being done. Without revolutions, there's no real progress in science or progress is limited. Most scientists are just following the standard paradigm, which is useful, you know, but some people would argue it amounts to dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, And if I were to ask you guys um, if you can identify um, a single scientific revolution that's occurred in your lifetime uh uh 25 years uh, whatever yeah um i don't mean technological revolutions of which um zoom is one right uh i you know and that's that's technological i mean fundamental scientific revolutions of the the something like the splitting of the atom or the the, the uncovering of the genetic code which are like 60 and 70 years ago, something like that, that have occurred in the past, say, 20 or 30 years that have changed your life. Scientific revolution. Um, most people I've asked can't can't identify a single one. And um, maybe you guys can, but there there are not many scientific revolutions. And because science has become uh stayed or uh, um 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 the the kind of creativity that was brought to science that was encouraged um a couple of generations ago has basically disappeared uh and the reason for that uh, in in my opinion is has to do with the granting agencies um and and it's really easy to get a grant if you're proposing to do something uh that's not revolutionary but that is it's just maybe a marginal change over what's believed because you're not threatening anybody but if everybody around you believes the earth is flat and you say no no I think the earth is round give me some money so I can pursue it because it's pretty important you won't get your money because they'll invite the experts in the field and the experts in the field are the flat earth people so you're challenging the people who are judging you it's not a great way and and you know so most sciences understand this principle if you will and 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 we'll we'll stick with the conventional stuff because they'll get money, and you need money to do do research. Otherwise, you lose, and you won't be able to put hamburgers on your table. You know. So so there you go. Um, so I, sorry for the long answer to your short question.
1: No, no, uh, that was that was perfect. I hope it's a, a it provides a domino for people to to challenge what they believe or what's possible, and to ask these questions like you're asking. So.
2: They really need to be asked, and I I really hope that changes. Uh, We have an organization called the Institute for Venture Science that deals with that. Um, And we take private money, of which we've not received a whole lot, but we're working on it to fund scientists who are pursuing ideas that challenge the status quo. Because you you can't get the money to do that from the standard funding agencies for the reasons I mentioned. Um, we could use more money. If people have some interest in donate, it's uh, the URL is is very simple. Ivscience.org. Iv like in like uh, intravenous, but Institute for Venture. Ivscience.org, not .com. Org, and you'll find all the information there.
1: All right, amazing. So if you're listening and and you want to be part of a scientific revolution here is a, a direct channel that you can contribute to um, you know cosmic cosmic changes on this on this planet in this lifetime so
2: we hope so yeah and uh, so we're excited about that too many many irons in the fire of many things going on but thanks for the opportunity to um, speak to your audience which I greatly appreciate.
0: Of course, we are so uh, so grateful to have had you on and to, for you to share so generously uh, your time and your knowledge. Um, and we, like Zach, had said, we look forward to to continue to tracking with you, reading reading these next books, and um, yeah, hopefully hopefully another conversation in the future where we can just kind of keep keep diving deep on these themes.
1: And if you ever find yourself in uh, Vancouver, we've got some uh, cold pressed, easy vegetable water waiting for you. <laughs>
2: I'll be up there uh, pretty soon. Oh. Okay, great. See you guys.
0: Oof. All right, there you have it. So you may be wondering, you know, how do I up my water game? How do I change it out? You know, get, get rid of water that's just not doing any good for me and get that structured water. Um, be sure to check out some of these these amazing things. You know, no, no uh, necessarily sponsorship, but like the Analemma Wand can help you structure water. You know, sunlight, those rays, get them on your body. Take some time in an infrared sauna, drink juice, eat vegetables, right? All of those things that kind of contain that easy, coherent water and will help your body absorb it and create it and just to feel like the best version of yourself.
1: There we go. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. It is sparking our curiosity. I think like the more we discover uh, and, and listen and learn about water, the more curious I am, I want to just keep learning. It's blowing my mind. Um, so I hope this is part of your journey into water, as we are, you know, bodies of water, returning to the source. You know, returning to the the knowledge that water provides and and how it literally is is, is life. We need water to be living. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Um, you know, if, if it resonated with you, we always are so grateful for, you know, likes, follows, reviews wherever you are tuning into your podcast, it makes a big difference in allowing our our little more goodness show up uh, in the various ways that it does. Uh, so whether that's on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen, throw up a review, throw how many stars you felt this episode kind of brought to your life, whether that's zero through five you know we love all 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 numbers. Grateful for them all. Uh, share it with a friend. Share it with somebody that you think could use a little more hydration through their earbuds, in the form of Gerald H. Pollock.
0: Yeah. All right. Until next time, stay hydrated and stay good, y'all. Peace.